What's going on, Thrive Church family? We're so grateful you're tuning into this week's podcast. We pray this message will bless you in the same way it has blessed our house this past Sunday. All right. Do me a favor. Everybody stand on your feet. We're going to jump into the word. I want to share just a little bit. I was originally going to sit down, but um, we don't got that much time, so I'm going to talk real fast, okay? And so uh, if you're Mexican, this is going to feel very comfortable for you. If you're not, that's okay. And maybe your family talks fast too, but okay. And so we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm going to be on a series just for a couple weeks called Welcome Home. Everybody say Welcome Home. And it's this whole idea that God wanted to create a home in us and in this church. Our theme this year was Welcome Home. That's why at the, when you go into the lobby, it's a big old sign that says Welcome Home. And the whole idea is that I believe that God wanted to build this house, a home for him and a home for people. Does that make sense? And so we had a vision that God would build the house physically. What does that mean? We did the building project. We needed to build the house. We needed to build this place. And can I tell you, it's been an awesome experience. But also, I believe God wants to build us invisibly, spiritually. And so we're going to focus on that the next couple weeks. So it says this in the book of Acts. As we jump into the passage, we go into the message. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Everybody say homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for what you did this morning. I know someone needed that. I know I needed that. And I just, I'm just so grateful for what you're doing in this house. So we just pray that you'd continue to move. You'd continue to speak. You'd have your way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. All right. So I'm going to do like a 35, 40 minute message in 15 minutes. Here we go. All right. Time me. I'm cool. You can set a timer. I'm going to get it. That's what Pastor Matt does. Pastor Matt's like always really good on time. I don't know how that dude does it. He's amazing. I'm the one that's always going over. Okay. Here's what I told first service. Why we're on this series is just, just to be very vulnerable and honest as a pastor, as your pastor here. I am so excited for what God is doing in this season. We have since February, March time. How many of you were at the high school with us? Anybody at the high school with us? Some people? Oh, more than I thought. That was good. I thought it was going to be like four people in second service. I'm just going to be honest. But, uh, but man, just incredible season of growth we've been experiencing here at Thrive. Our attendance from January, February, March time to now has pretty much doubled in like four or five months. It's crazy. Now, some of that is people coming back from COVID and, and settling in and, you know, and it's California. We only go to church like once a month, right? Let's just be honest. And hopefully if you got convicted about that, good. Okay, cool. All right. But God's growing us. And so here's the deal. I, I love it. I love that God's growing us numerically on Sundays. But for me, what does it matter if we're growing by numbers on Sundays, but we are not growing in discipleship? Our church is not called to raise up church attenders. Our church is called to what the Bible calls us to, which is to raise up disciples. I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to be a disciple. I believe the reason why God was doing what he was doing at this altar moment, at this worship moment, was because he wants to get you free and then teach you how to follow him. Right? Book of Exodus. The Bible says that they were in Egypt in captivity. I'm going on a tangent. Just follow me. 
Captivity, right? Let my people go. Everybody know? Prince of Egypt. Red Sea got divided. The people were free. And then it was in the desert that they got the law. And so that's a very similar foreshadow to our salvation. God brings us into freedom before giving us the law. But then once we are free, he gives us the law, the instruction, the word to let us walk out in the freedom that we experience. Does that make sense? Okay. So what you just experienced right now, the, the presence, power, the, the, the tears, the mokos, whatever, whatever was happening, right? I love it. I, God moving. It's powerful. I love it. So that you can walk in freedom during the week. It's not so you can feel good on Christ, uh, church on Sunday and when you go to Denny's or in and out after this, you're like, man, I got my spiritual goosebumps and I'm good for another month. No, that's not freedom. Freedom is I'm going to follow Jesus in every area and aspect of my life. Freedom is my home is going to be dedicated to the Lord. Freedom is I'm going to be the same person at church as I am in my job. Freedom is I'm going to follow Jesus to every capacity that I'm called to. God does these moments so that way he can walk us and catalyze us and launch us into discipleship. What is discipleship? Following the way of God. What is discipleship? Following Jesus the way the disciples following Jesus. What is discipleship? Being formed into the image of the Son, the image of Christ, so that way the world can see Jesus and not us. And what we believe here is that you will only be discipled in the context of each other and not just by yourself. So I want to talk to you today about spiritual family. Because I believe that God has called this a home, this place, our church, Thrive, as a home for spiritual family. You are not meant to do life together or alone. You are meant to do life together. You are not meant to do life apart. We are meant to do life with each other. And why I brought up the Acts verse, why I brought up the Exodus verse, God freed the Israelites. Not one Israelite, not just Moses. It would have been easy for God to just free Moses. He already did. But God sent Moses back so that way the nation of Israel could be free. In the book of Acts, it says that they were added together daily. And so why was I talking about the metrics on Sunday? It's because I believe God is growing our church. But it doesn't matter if we grow on Sundays if we're not growing every other day of the week. Small groups is how we do discipleship here at Thrive. There's other areas and avenues as well serving other aspects but i want to focus on small groups we're going to get ready to do small groups in the next few weeks and in the fall and and i don't want to be a place that has big sunday numbers but no one is committed to relationships and discipleship i want to make sure that you and i understand you are called to a spiritual family it's not about attendance it's about your heart being interconnected with other people who are following Jesus because that is the Jesus way. Jesus didn't just disciple one, he discipled 12. Moses didn't just disciple one, he discipled 10. The Bible says all throughout scripture that people with other people aligned with God's heart follow God together. Does that make sense? I want to read to you just a couple of things that I have. Is that we have been saved into a spiritual family. Therefore, the responsibility is ours to be part of that family or not. I want you to know that. And so it's not the pastor's job to make sure you're plugged in, although I would really love for you to. It's your job to make sure you're plugged in. See, I believe that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Leonard Ravenhill said that. And we said that earlier this year. And I believe that. I believe we, we kind of function as a hospital, right? But here's the thing. I don't believe our hospital should just have emergency services. I want to teach you how to be healthy so that way you don't got to go to the hospital as much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, don't be wrong. It's great to have a good hospital, but it's also really good if you work out throughout the week and you're not eating all those chicken nuggies. 
And all these brownies and all these cookies so you don't have to go to the hospital as much. And what we can do is we can tether you to an emergency service without teaching you how to follow Jesus in your own life. And I want to make sure that us as a church, we are teaching you and equipping you to follow Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. To follow Jesus at your job. To follow Jesus at your school. To follow Jesus when that crazy family member comes over for Thanksgiving. Come on now. I want to teach you how to follow Jesus when things go right and when things go wrong. I want to teach you how to follow Jesus so that way you know what it takes. So it's not just a hospital for emergency services, but a hospital that equips you, teaches you on how to live your life to follow Jesus. And how do we do that, family? We do that together. Why do we do that together? Because we do that the way the book of Acts did it. I love the book of Acts. I love what God's doing. The Bible says that in the book of Acts chapter 2, right before this passage, 3,000 people got saved. That's a good Sunday. I don't know about you. Like, I'm excited when we get like 10 visitors. I'm just going to be real. Right? I'm in staff meeting. I'm like, how many visitors we got? They're like, 10. I'm like, let's go. Revival's breaking out. 3,000 people. Imagine 3,000 people getting saved in one day. That's like the best sermon ever. Peter just spitting fire. 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. And the Bible says that they just do what they can do. They start meeting in homes. They start, right? All the things that we just read in Acts 2. But I love it because they, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. We think like, man, they were just so smart. They, they, it was, they don't know what they were doing. They were just doing it. It's kind of like, I shared this first service. It's kind of like when you show a teenager how to drive. How many of you ever had to show a teenager how to drive? I remember we adopted my brother Alex at 16. And I didn't know I had to teach him how to drive. And can I tell you, I've never prayed more for the repentance of my sins than in the car with my brother driving over that River Islands Bridge. I was like, I'm going to Jesus. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you just start repenting of all your hidden sins and you haven't even left the parking lot with your teenager yet. you just like, they're going to crash us and we're going to die. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. But they're doing it and it works and that's what the church was doing. But they got something right. They, they, they knew, I don't know what we got to do, but we got to do it together. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. We're going, to eat some, we're going to eat some donuts together. We're going to talk about the Bible together. We're going to give generously. And we're just going to be the church. I don't know what to do, but we're just going to do it. And what they began to do, which they didn't even realize, is they began to give us the model today of what church is supposed to be like. And the Bible says that when they did that, God began to move in their life daily. So I want to give you five elements, what I call the elements of discipleship. I want to give you five things that every disciple needs to do in their walk with Jesus. If you're in here and you're like, I want to grow. I want to grow spiritually. I want to deepen my walk with God. I want to, I want to strengthen my life with Jesus. I want, to, I want to deepen my family in Jesus. I don't want to make it just like a spiritual thing that I do every now and then. I want to actually live my life as a follower of Jesus. We got to grow in these five things. We got to do these five things. Very fundamental, very basic. But if you don't do them, it's kind of hard to call yourself a disciple. Does that make sense? Cool. Number one, here we go, is we need gospel teaching. So, we can't be a people that just does whatever we want. We got to follow the Bible. Whatever the Bible says about marriage, we believe about marriage. Whatever the Bible says about political issues, we believe what the Bible says. Whatever the Bible says about spiritual issues, we believe what the Bible says. Whatever the Bible says about sin, we believe what the Bible says. Whatever the Bible says about heaven, whatever the Bible says about hell, the teachings of Jesus. The Bible says that they devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That word, if you break that down in Greek, is the way of the apostles. So it's not about you learning more about the Bible. It's about you applying what you've learned to let it transform your life. 
I know my, my dad, who, who was in prison for a while, he, he told me this one time, and I think I've said this on stage before, but I don't know if I've said it second service. He's like, man, in prison, everyone knows scripture, but no one applies it because they got all day. They just read in the Bible all day long. You can know the Bible. Listen, are everybody seeing me? Are you, paying, are you looking at me? Because this is not going to make sense unless you're looking at me. Okay. We good? I know. I'm not that cute, but okay. Look, just look at me. You can know the Bible and not know the Bible. Yeah. It's like when you tell your kid, go wash the dishes and go wash the dishes. Those are two completely different realities. Right? Oh, I knew I was supposed to go wash the dishes after dinner. And, right? He's like, oh, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Exactly. We can know the Bible. We can know the teachings of Jesus. But until we apply it to our lives and it becomes the way, the narrow road as Jesus describes it, as the path that he takes us, Psalms describes it as a light to our feet and a light to our path. The process of following God with everything in us, we follow the way of the apostles. What is it saying? Is that the disciples discussed how the apostles lived their life and how they followed Jesus. Because, right, they were there. But I can just imagine. Peter is like, hey, you remember that one time? Oh, man, I remember this one time. I was in, I was in a boat and Jesus wasn't in the boat and we were freaking out because we didn't know where Jesus was. And then out of nowhere, Jesus starts walking on water. And we start tripping. We're like, that's a ghost. And it was like, no, it was God. And the next thing you know, I'm walking on water. And that was such a crazy day. Man, I wish I got that on TikTok. That would have been so cool. But then I remember I was drowning because I started focusing on everything else. And, and, and then Jesus saved me. And, because, and, he, and, I, and I wanted you to know that we don't live by sight we don't live by what we see but we live by faith imagine peter telling the disciples i imagine i wish i was a disciple in that time i wish i was just eating some pan dulce hanging out at pastor peter's house telling him telling me how he walked on water i'm like yeah bro wow that's incredible i gotta live by faith that's that's what they were doing they were discussing not theological concepts not so that way they could become Bible nerds and they can know more than the other person. No, they were discussing so they can apply it to their life. They were walking through the teachings, the way of Jesus. Family, I want you to know that if you want to be a disciple, you got to follow the way of Jesus. you got to follow his path. You got to follow. We, got, we need gospel-centric teaching again in the church today. We need gospel-centric teaching in your life today. We need to begin to allow ourselves to be centered in the word of God. Number two is we need interdependent relationships. Not independent, not codependent, interdependent. We need to learn how to do life with one another. I'm just gonna speak to the room. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. I think sometimes you think I prepare messages with you in mind. I don't, I promise. I promise I'm not writing things down and I'm like, ooh, Pastor Matt needs to hear this. <sighs> Pastor Matt, my goodness, he needs to simmer down with his whatever. You know, I don't do that, I don't do that. I just, God speaks, God hopefully speaks to me and then I speak and then hopefully he speaks to you. That's how that works. That's how that works. We don't need codependent relationships. What is codependency? Codependency is an unhealthy need for someone else and what you do is you make someone else your Jesus. A lot of us come from codependent families where unless you do this and that for your family and there's no boundary and there's no healthiness, it becomes an idol and that idol turns into manipulation and that manipulation turns into an unhealthy toxicity. Why can I tell about this? Why can I talk about this? Because I come from an unhealthy codependent family. 
I come from a family that guilt tripped you all the time. Why? Because we were unsaved. We had no idea what, health and, what healthy and unhealthy was it. And you know how you know how you're connected to an unhealthy family? I'm not trying to speak on anyone's family. Listen, I believe God can save them, heal them, set them free. Romans talks about how when you're saved, your whole household's saved. I believe it. But I also believe that they're crazy. I also believe that they're a little nuts. And then until we get better, they're not going to get better. We got we to gotta let God do what he needs to do in our life. I learned that I was addicted to chaos. That's how you know you're unhealthy. Because you love the cheese man. Come on, Mexicans. You love it. You love all the drama, the cheese man, all, all of it. And, 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 and it creates this codependency because it's like all this weird thing. That like if I don't have you and I don't need you, or and I need you, and if I don't have you, then like I'm nothing. And it's like, right, it's, it's right, young people. Hey, let me talk to some young people in the room right now. Some relationship stuff. It's a whole person marrying a whole person. It's, you know that whole thing about like, oh, he just has half my heart and I complete him. If you complete him, you're going to mess him up. <laughs> Married couples, can I, can I get a witness? When you found your love in another person to complete you, they end up leaving a hole in your heart. Because the only person that can complete you is Jesus. So if you're like, oh my God, mija, if you're like, oh my God, he completes me. I have a lock on my Instagram bio with his name next to it. Girl, the only lock that should have you on lock is a man named Jesus. I'm just saying, girl. My wife barely posts about me. She just posts about the kids. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's real love. That's real love right there. You know what I'm saying? Codependence is this idea of, man, if I don't have this person so tethered into my life, then I'm empty and I'm missing and it's so unhealthy. I'm not saying this side is codependent, but if you are, that's okay. We'll pray for you. Interdependence, right? Because this is the other extreme. One side is codependence. Everybody say codependence. The other side is independence. Everybody say independence. And independence, right, is the idea, right? We celebrate Independence Day. We were independent. We were separated from Great Britain as a country. Independence means I don't need anybody. Because I've been on my own, and I live on my own, and I can do everything on my own, and I'm fine on my own because I survived on my own, and no one else needs me. I don't need help from anyone. It's only me and God, me and God, me and God. Let's be real. Independent people, you don't even got God. Let's just be honest. You're so into doing your own thing, God's like the last thing on your mind, and you feel like you don't need anybody. Can I tell you, that is so unhealthy because that is rooted in a victim mentality and rebellion. And I know this because I also was super independent. I went from codependency, because I'm extreme. I don't know if anyone's like me in the room, but I don't know how to take a chill pill and chill out. How I'm talking to you right now is how I talk at home. My poor wife and my poor kids. My daughter yells just like me. She doesn't even say words yet. I'm yelling. I don't know. I'm playing video games. I'm like, ah, and she's like, ah, and I'm like, dude, just chaos everywhere. Still working on it. I went from codependency to independency. I was like, I don't need nobody. I'm good. I'm on my own. And what that produces is, is maybe you can live life, but you'll never live life to the fullest because people make you better. And God uses people to restore the brokenness of your heart. God can heal your spirit with an altar moment, but God heals your soul through other people. God wasn't going to heal the father wound of my life, me not having a dad, until he sent me fathers. God wasn't going to send the mother wound of my life, because I didn't have either parents, until he sent me mothers. God wasn't going to heal the wound of my friends not being there, or my brother passing away, but then he sent me brothers. He sent me people. 
interdependent relationships, which is the center. So y'all made it. Y'all are healthy. Good job. Pick in the middle today. Is I don't need you, but I want you. I'm not by myself. We're together. And together we can go farther and faster than if we were apart. We need healthy interdependent relationships and discipleship. No one disciples themselves. I'm going to say that again. No one disciples themselves. Your friend that's like, yeah, I just do church and it's just me and Jesus. No one disciples themselves because discipleship takes relationship. It's why the word ship is in it. There's a connection, relationship, proximity. We need each other. We need other people. Number three. I'm only on three. Okay, help me, Lord. I got this. Presence priority. We need to learn how to pray. You can't follow Jesus unless you know how to pray. And some of us are so scared to pray. As if God, like, hates us when we talk to him. God loves it when you talk to him. Now, I don't have that much time to get into this. We did a series earlier this year at the high school called If. And it was how to build your prayer life. Go back to YouTube if you want to grow in prayer a little bit. But this idea of prioritizing the presence man I gotta prioritize God in my life I gotta prioritize speaking to God I gotta prioritize walking with God I gotta prioritize the presence of God in my family the presence of God in my kids the presence of God at my job I gotta learn how to pray they dedicated themselves to the prayers of the saints and can I tell you when we pray together ooh something happens it's powerful it's what Jesus says when two or three are gathered he's in the midst two-chord strand isn't easily broken and a three-chord strand is hard to break man when I pray with people when I'm going through it can I ask you a question do you have someone in your life you can text to pray for you not me I don't count right off the bat if you're like well I got you delete my number you need to find like five other people I mean I'll pray for you but don't no no that's such a cop-out I'm not a priest this isn't Catholic Church and I don't make I'm not making fun of it I'm just saying you can talk to God you can spend time with Jesus You need to find someone in your life other than an authority like you need to find some friends some of us you think you have friends you don't got friends you need to find some people and look if i'm the only one i got you i'll help you find some friends okay so don't feel bad i got you but no i I want you to have two or can you text two or three people when hell is breaking loose on your life when you lose your job when you get the new job when your kid's doing great when your kid's in the hospital can you find some people and like, can we pray together? Can I prioritize the presence of God? That's what they did. Number four, radical generosity. Man, I wish I had so much time into this, but I don't have enough time. Radical generosity. Can we throw that up there? That would be great. The Bible says that they sold all their belongings and gave to the people who needed it. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? So look, I'm not going to make this into like a tithes and offering message, although some of y'all need to start giving and tithing and offering. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. It's not because the church needs more money. No, it's because there are people just like you who need to hear the gospel. And it is biblical to give to the mission of God on the earth. But this is what disciples do. Family, I was so stingy. You ever hang out with a stingy person? You ever go to lunch with someone and they get the T-Rex arms when the check comes? Right? Check comes. Whoop. I don't know where my hands went. Oh, I forgot my credit card, right? Like, bro, nobody likes that person. Richie, nobody likes that person, right? Come on. Thank you, Richie. Thank you. Richie's in real estate, and so he probably deals with people like that all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, no, no. 
You know, you know how waitresses say that Christians are the worst tippers? How crazy is that? The Bible says in John 3.16, anybody know it? Anybody, anybody want extra credit in heaven? If you know it, say it out loud. That he gave his only son. That everybody's starting to click now. It's like, oh yeah, I remember Sunday school. That through him, none would perish, but have eternal life, right? The Bible says that he gave generosity. It's in his nature to give. Family, it needs to be in your nature to grow in generosity as well. We need to take care of one another. You know what the beautiful thing about small groups is? The stories I hear of when, like, for example, someone's in the hospital or their kid's in the hospital. Before a pastor even gets there, their whole small group's there. They're all there. I don't, it doesn't even get to me anymore. I'm like the last person to find out things. Nobody calls me. It's probably because they don't have my number because I told them to delete it, I guess. But <laughs> No, no, but for real, though, they're... they're we already, I'm like, wow, we could send a meal. And it's like, we already got the meal tray. We got meals for them for 10 days. How do we do that? Their small group is taking care of them. Are you kidding me? We got diapers. You, you know what's the beautiful thing? It's like when, we, when we're generous, we, we give diapers to newborn babies. We give, we give formula. We get clothes. We get meals. We get food. We help people with rent. Why? Together. Because generosity is biblical. We're radically generous as disciples. You know what that tells me? When someone is generous, they don't deal with an orphan mentality that thinks that they don't have enough. I'm not telling you to be rid ridiculous and reckless. I'm telling you to let God stir your heart so you can be generous toward the people of God. And in groups, man, that is so powerful. When we see the generosity, and not just of money, but of time and of resources and of treasure and of talent, right? Maybe you don't got funds, but man, you'll help someone move. Or maybe you don't have funds or you'll help someone do something. It's the generous heart that makes the disciple. And then lastly, is a missional lifestyle. Disciples focus on the lost. Disciples focus on the prodigal. Disciples believe that people are going to get saved. Disciples believe that people are going to meet Jesus. Disciple believes that nothing is impossible for God, like Pastor Saul said last week. Disciples believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly all that we could ever ask or imagine. That God can save even the wretched soul that no one would ever think could get saved. You know, you got that friend that like, man, they need Muhammad, they need Buddha, they need Oprah, they need Dr. Phil, they need Jesus, they need all of it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm being, I'm joking. But, right, you know that, that friend that's like, man, they are a mess. God can get them. You know that cousin? You know that nephew? That you're like, man, that, that nephew. That nephew needs like seven run this town conferences every weekend. That, that, that nephew, I believe it. I believe God can get him. Why? Because we live missionally. We think beyond ourselves. We believe that no one is too broken and no one is too lost and no one is too messed up. That no sinner is too far gone. That hell doesn't have the authority on them too much. That we believe that no one is too dark and no one is too deep into it. We believe that the hand of heaven can grab that person wherever they're at. We do that together. We pray together. We believe together. We do it together. You know that there's people that will go to your small group? Small group leaders, can I honor you in the room? They'll go to your house before they'll ever come here. The Bible says that they focused, they, that, that the lost were added to them daily, that people were getting saved. This is what the church does. So, five things. Gospel teaching, interdependent relationships. Let's, let's run it from the top. Gospel teaching, number one. Interdependent relationships, number two. A presence priority, number three. Radical generosity, number four. And a missional lifestyle, number five. Here's the deal. Notice they do all this in a setting of together, not individual. 
Although you have to grow in this individual as well, but how they did it was together. So I imagine there was one person at the house that was like, man, I'm really good at praying, but I'm not going to bring any panduse to the group because I'm stingy. Or like, man, I'm really good at giving. I'm really good at being generous. But you know, I don't want to reach any lost people. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really good about, you know, knowing the word. But man, I don't want to be close with anybody. I don't want to know people. I don't want interdependent relationships. I don't want to partner with people. And it says that they learned and grew together. That's my hope for this church that we would learn and grow together. I don't want a lot of people here on Sunday and we're not committed to a lifestyle discipleship throughout the week. We're going to start groups soon. I want to challenge you. Get in a group. Get a part of a spiritual family. And so my question for you is this, as we close, is what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to? The Bible says that the disciples were devoted to each other and the parts of discipleship. I want to be devoted to the same thing they were devoted to. And if I'm devoted to something else that is counterintuitive to what the church should be devoted to, I need to repent. I need to let the Lord begin to speak into my life. Because I believe God can do it. And I believe that God is going to deepen us. God's going to deepen us. Because we need each other. We're better together. I believe that that's how we walk out altar moments like earlier. That's how we live them out. That's how we steward them. So do me a favor. Stand on your feet with me. I'll let you go. Powerful day today. So I just want to simply pray because I don't want to get in the way of else whatever God's doing. Close your eyes with me and let me pray. Holy Spirit, right now, we thank you. Thank you that you were moving and you were speaking. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way. I pray if any of these five areas convicted us, God, teach us how to apply it. I pray that we would come in knowing that, God, you want to deepen us. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, we pray that today would have been a transformative day through the word, through the worship, through the lobby, through hanging out. And, and God, we would leave difference. And that, Jesus, in this season as a church, you would deepen us like never before. As we get ready for groups this fall, interlock us, call us to each other. And Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be devoted to the right things. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give it up for what God did in the room this morning. Come on. Love it. Family, just a reminder, first time visitors, fill out that card. We'd love to get to know you. We would love to help you find a church, this church or any church. We want to help you. Secondly, before you leave, don't go, don't go, don't go. Everybody say growth track. Growth track's the next step. That's how you get plugged in. It's how you become part of the family. Growth track and groups. That's what we do here. So if you need to sign up for growth track, do it in the lobby or online today. Sound good? Family, I love you. Invite a friend next week. We'll see you next Sunday. Once again, thank you so much for joining in and listening to the message brought to our house this past Sunday. We love you and we pray you have a blessed day and blessed week.